Hello and welcome to A History of Christian Theology. My name is Chad Kim. Uh, this episode is actually just going to be an episode of my teaching uh, at Covenant Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, it is a recording of me explaining what it was like to hear St. Augustine preach. Um, so it's focused on him as preacher. Um, uh, the first little bit has a slight, um, has a couple of minutes cut off, but it's basically just introduction. Um, I thought I would put it out here just to see if uh, anybody was interested in hearing uh, a different take on the life of St. Augustine. We're almost done with his confessions. Uh, the next podcast that we will record will be books 12 and 13 together. So our plan will be to finish the confessions here shortly. Sorry for a couple week delay. My son has been very sick, um, and he's getting better now, uh, but my wife and I were also sick, so we've been going through quite a bit, um, and it's been hard for me to keep up with uh, work and school and uh, and also get the podcast, but... but we now have uh, a couple ep- we have two more episodes that'll be released um and we'll be recording hopefully here soon so um like us on iTunes rate us review us um and like us on Facebook and that all helps people to find the podcast all right let's start <laughs> just kidding um those immortal words that I just shared will never be recorded <laughs> Um, and, and this will humble me, what I'm about to read. <laughs> uh, for if Christ died only on account of those who can distinguish these things with certain intelligence, we labor in the church to almost no purpose. For if, as the truth has it, the weak people among the faithful run to the physician to be healed by Christ and by him crucified, so that where sin has abounded, grace might abound even more, it comes about in marvelous ways through the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God and through his inscrutable judgment, that some who can distinguish... This gives you a sense. Latin sentences are very long. We would never do this in good English. Um, and so, But anyway, let's go back uh, for a minute. But if, as the truth had... Uh, uh, oh, wait, sorry. Um, but Christ died on account of those who can distinguish... Um, for if Christ had died only on account of those who can distinguish these things with certain intelligence, we labor the church to no purpose. So what is he saying? He's saying if, if, if what I'm about is only for those who can understand the really difficult theological topics, then this is pointless. Then what are we doing, right? This is not only for the intelligent uh, or for like the super intelligent, right? And so he says that actually is far less important uh, to our God um, than the medicine uh, that is Christ healing, right? So he says we need to get as many people as possible um, to the medicine which comes from the humble Christ, which comes um, at the table, um, which comes in the church through preaching. And so he says um, it's not only for those who are into the abstract things. So this was me when I was in high school. Again, sort of thinking, I, I love, uh, uh, and part of what I love when I study Augustine is because we know so much about his life. So we can read what he writes, and then we can put that within his own narrative. So we can get a sense of what this guy was like. And I imagine him to be a little bit like me in high school, where we loved the hard topics, and we loved to feel like we were smart, and we thought that that was what it was all about. Um, and then life humbles us, um, and, and we realize that that's not the most important thing in the world. Um, and so this is what, what Augustine is saying. It's like If it's only for those topics that nobody can understand but a few, then it's worthless. Um, and so he says, but, the, but as the truth has it, the weak people among the faithful, um, so the, they run to the position to be healed by Christ. And this is um, uh, one of Augustine's favorite phrases as well. He calls Christ the humble doctor. 
Um, and he says, Christ comes with the medicine for our sin-sick souls, as the old hymn has it. Right? Um, and that was what he was here for. And so when Augustine would stand up to preach, he was offering the medicine from the scriptures, which would heal um, the, his people. Um, he was the first one, well, maybe, maybe not the first one. He was at least a early one to use the phrase, oh, uh, minister of word and sacrament, uh, which is, you know, uh, you guys are Presbyterians, you know uh, that phrase, right? So Augustine thought that through the preaching of the word and through the administration of the sacraments, we would offer medicine. Um, for people who are sick, right? And, and so um, that was what he tried to do with his preaching. He tried to offer something that would be healing um, to people who were in pain. Um, and, and he offered that through, through Christ. Um, yeah. But anyway, it's a long... I won't go through all of that. There's a lot in that quote, but it's, a, it's one of my favorites. Where's my... All right. Um, any questions on that before I continue? Uh, so, some real quick uh, background stuff. Um, so, Augustine wrote more. We think probably more than, uh, or excuse me, we have more of Augustine's writings than any other person from the ancient world. Um, so, there's a ton of stuff that you can read. Uh, one count there were over five billion words. Um, and I think Chris actually read this quote from uh, Isidore of Seville, who says that if you've said that you've read all that Augustine has written, you're a liar. Um, and, and so I'll give you a sense of that. So his three, uh, he has three works of sermons. One is called the Expositions on the Psalms. One is called the Tractates in John. And the, the collection that I study the most uh, are the Sermons to the People, the Sermones of Paul Bloom. Uh, but the exposition on the psalms, he goes through every single psalm. In some cases, he has two or three sermons on each psalm. And it's actually uh, his longest collected work. It's bigger than the city of God. Um, so uh, of his big, uh, um, you know, sort of academic treatise, uh, that's actually smaller uh, than the amount of work he did just on the psalms. Um, Augustine calls the psalms the fifth gospel. Uh, he loves the psalms. They're very important to him. Um, so the tractates in John, he would go through, uh, he went straight through the book of John and through some of John's epistles, um, and, and he went straight through the Psalms. So we think uh, when Augustine would preach, he would preach at least on Saturday and Sundays, um, and often he would preach on certain days throughout the week. Uh, so it's likely that he preached anywhere from, we have no idea, but anywhere, I've seen guesses, uh, from 4,000 to 10,000 times. Um, so he was... A, uh, a, a bishop for at least 30 or 40 years, right? So he's a very, uh, he's been a bishop for a long time, so he preaches a lot. Um, and we think that sometimes he had a kind of lectionary, sometimes he would uh, read a, a set scripture for a particular day, and other times he would just go straight through a book. Um, so he did a little bit of both. Uh, and, and the exposition on the Psalms and the Tractates and Johns, those are examples of him just going straight through the book. So that his people would know these, these works. And the Sermons to the People, the book that I study more, was never edited in his lifetime. So when he would get up to preach, uh, he would use no notes. Um, and so, and as I told you last time I was here, we have some sermons that we think were like five or ten minutes. Okay, you can do that without notes. Uh, one of the ones that was recently found by a French scholar, we think he probably preached over the course of about three hours um, without notes. Um, so he stood well. So he sat, as I said, uh, on his cathedral, on his big chair, and everyone else had to stand. 
um, and uh, women on one side, men on the other, um, and, uh, and it was actually a more temperate Mediterranean climate, so not as hot as you might have imagined um, in North Africa, but they would stand for three hours um, and, and listen to Augustine expound on the scriptures. Um, and the sermons on Populum, which I study, uh, were, he never edited them. So the notarius, the person who would travel with him, just wrote down the notes, and then those would be uh, recorded in a scroll or a codex and passed on to other people. Um, and it, it may be that, that Augustine's influence is so great uh, because of the way that his sermons were distributed across Europe. Um, so I'll talk about that in a minute. But after he would speak, someone would write down in the moment, write down what he was saying, and then they would pass it along. Um, and, and it would get collected and re re uh, retrans or not translated uh, transcribed um, and passed on to other people. Um, but that's what would happen. And, and he never edited his sermons to the people. So so those are kind of interesting because he'll say little things as he's going along. He'll say, "I know you guys are tired, but hang with me for a couple more minutes." Uh, or he'd say, uh, "Actually, at one point he describes um, people crying." Um, over what he's saying. He says, and I was crying, and we were both crying. So we, we get the sense, this is a letter that he writes to another bishop, uh, but we get the sense that Augustine was a very emotional person, which, which I kind of like. I'm a fairly passionate person. Uh, and so, we, <laughs> and we get the sense that, that he was too, right? So like, sometimes he would be so moved uh, by the, the scripture that, that he would just break out into tears. Um, and he was so concerned for his people uh, that, that, that he would just cry. Um, I have done that from a pulpit before, so I understand. Um, and uh, yeah, so he would preach often, and then the, notori and the notarius would, would write it down. Um, let's see. He preached through sermons. Oh yeah, so they were reread. Uh, so so what happened after Augustine dies? Um, the sermons were passed on and were collected in certain monasteries, um, and and pastors would actually just read them to their congregation. So one guy, Cesarius Barles, uh, he, would, he may have uh, added some of his own stuff, but a lot of the sermon, he would just reread what Augustine had said. Um, and we see some of that in the Venerable Bede in England, and we see some of that um, in Benedict of Nursia in, in Italy. Um, so I'm going to go through this real quick, but I got to go to Italy a couple summers ago and go to uh, the monastery in Nursia and see some of these collections of sermons. And I can't help but show you the pictures because they're beautiful, and it was really fun for me. Um, but this is how we have those sermons, um, is these monks would write down exactly what Augustine said, uh, store them, and they would keep them on top of mountains uh, for centuries, and they would be reread uh, by either the monks or by, by pastors um, who would read them to their congregations. Um, so this is, uh, this is the monastery at Nursia. Um, it's called Monte Cassino. If any of you are World War II buffs, um, you might know about the battle for Monte Cassino. I did not. I am not a World War II buff. Um, and I'm really bad uh, about modern history. Probably doesn't surprise you. Um, so I started writing to this monk, uh, and, uh, and I, like, I just knew that it was called Monte Cassino. I didn't know anything else. My wife was like, do you know where that is? No, I don't know. Uh, I just want to see these sermons. Um, and so I, I put Monte Cassino in Wikipedia, and I hear this whole crazy story about how it was destroyed um, as the Americans came up from the south of Italy and were trying to make their way into Germany. Um, and, and it appears that the Americans actually just totally destroyed it, thinking that it was occupied by Nazis. Um, and it wasn't. 
but, but this monastery had been largely undisturbed since uh, the sixth century. Um, and so for a thousand years, or well, longer than that, almost 1,500 years, uh, they preserved lots of great works of art, lots of sermons. Um, and actually, there were two Nazi SS officers um, who brought trucks to the monastery and put all of the sermons, all of the collections of works of art and everything in these trucks. And the, the brothers, so I heard this story uh, from, from one of the brothers who wrote the history uh, of the monastery uh, when I was in, in Italy. And it's this totally nuts story. Um, and he said they didn't know what to do, but they were like, they knew that, that this would probably be destroyed. So they said, well, we'll give it to you. We hope that it'll be saved. And it was. Um, and the story has a better ending. Uh, the Americans actually paid to have it entirely rebuilt using the original stones. Um, and, and so there, it was a mistake um, and a very brave one. Uh, but but I, I would say that we did right. Um, at least we you know, paid a lot of money and, and had it rebuilt from the very stones. Um, and, but, and all the, the, the works of, of literature and sermons and art were also preserved. Um, but, uh, it, I mean, it's obviously obvious why that would be a good place to hide. Um, it's on top of the mountain. It's another aerial picture. It's a beautiful monastery. Um, one picture. So this, I got to sit here. So all I did was email this guy, uh, Don Mariano, and I just wrote him an email. I was like, hey, I'm a scholar from St. Louis. I'd like to look at the sermons. He goes, which ones? Um, and I was like, uh, and so I had to figure out how they were all organized. He just brought out four folios from the 10th century, 9th century, um, just laid them down in front of me. He said, I'll see you in a few hours. You'll, you'll. And I was like, really? <laughs> oh, I didn't have my doctorate. Uh, and there you go. Uh, so these, these folios uh, had preserved these sermons for um, at least a thousand years. So we think that during... Uh, the first copying was done in the Carolingian Renaissance, and they were brought to, to Italy later. But um, you can see this is how they were preserved. Um, there are a lot of ornate letters at the beginning. Uh, and anyway, so there's a big giant S for Sermo. That's how you would, uh, they, they talked about uh, the title um, of, what we were, of what was read. So this is one of the sermons of Augustine. And you can see just uh, nonstop writing. Um, and it's, it's, it actually can be quite hard to figure out uh, the Latin uh, the way the script is very different from um, scripts that we're used to reading, either ancient scripts or modern scripts. Um, so it's a whole uh, medieval way of writing. Uh, but anyway, I won't bore you with that too long. But I just thought it was a lot of fun for me. Um, it was this crazy story, and like this kid from St. Louis, like, hey, I'd like to look at your you know thousand year old books. Sure, which ones? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be here for the next one. <laughs> Uh, but it was a lot of fun. All right, so so that's how we have the sermons. Um, and so preaching habits, real quick, some some things that you'll notice. All right, we got about twenty minutes. We're gonna move quick. Um, so we always call this congregation your love, and and I like this. Uh, so caritas vestra. So one of the things that um, that that I think is unique about Augustine. Um, again. Most of us encounter him in our debates over predestination or maybe thinking about the Trinity, these very difficult topics. Um, and uh, there's, there's a modern scholar who says that this is sort of like, we imagine um, a lot of theology is done by brains on a stick. Um, it's all thinking, it's all up here, and they're not really lived people. They're not, like, they're not people that actually lived and breathed and thought about other things. We're all just brains, and we all just think. Um, and, and that's not who Augustine was. Sometimes he gets pulled into that camp because he did think a lot, and he loved to think. 
Um, but but he, even his title uh, for his people is caritas. So that is uh, the love that God gives to us. So we'll read in a sermon in a minute. Um, and and, and what, in that sermon, Augustine says that God actually gives us this love. So we are desiring creatures. Um, it, this is James K. Smith did a whole book on this. Uh, but, um, but he says, you are what you love. Um, and this comes uh, from Augustine. Um, so James K. Smith at his best is just a good Augustinian, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so anyway, but Augustine was very concerned with our passions, with our desires. And he said, once you become a Christian, uh, God gives you new desires and a new love. Um, so when he looked out at his people, he said, you all are God's love. Um, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at God's love. Um, so caritas vestra in Latin. Uh, he interacted with his congregation often, as I told you. Sometimes he'd say to be patient. Sometimes he'd say, um, I can see you're all tired. Come back tomorrow. Um, sometimes he would say, uh, you're getting too loud. The ladies up front can't hear. Uh, and, and actually, at some point, um, when he was older, his, his voice was going. Um, and so, you know, he, he preached for 30 years at least. Uh, so, you know, you can imagine talking um, 10,000 uh, times, uh, his, his voice would, uh, would falter and did at the end of his life. Um, so he'd ask them to be quiet. Uh, he oftentimes he'd start his prayers saying, please, please pray for me because um, I'm worried about what I have to do because I have to stand up and offer to you um, what God has taught me. And I want to get it right. Like, so he was so concerned uh, that he would be of help uh, to his congregation who he, he knew were struggling, right? Their, their hard conditions um, and, and probably 85% of them are illiterate. Um, so we think in North Africa at this time, um, most of the people that he spoke to uh, couldn't read. Um, and so when he, would, uh, when he would go through these sermons um, and go through all these books of the Bible, this was their Bible study too, right? So it wasn't just hearing a word. It was how, like, you know, hearing a word like we might for 20 minutes on a Sunday. Um, they couldn't go home and read their Bibles. So they had to uh, soak in whatever they could um, hearing from Augustine uh, if they wanted to learn the scriptures. And so at one point, Augustine actually says in his sermons, we are your books. Uh, so we preachers are your books. This is how you are going to get uh, the, the truth of scripture um, is from hearing preachers. So he used a language that was really simple. Uh, so uh, he rarely references classical authors on a few occasions he does. But most of the time, um, he just references scripture and his Latin sort of diction and syntax was very simple. Um, and, and a lot, and we think that he loved rhymes because people could put that stuff in their head, right? If you hear orator piscator, um, and that would be a little uh, jingle that you could uh, hold away and store away and say, this is where God was. Um, he didn't prefer the orators. He preferred, preferred the fishermen first. Uh, and then Augustine says, so he could save the orators too, uh, right? So it's not that God does not love the orators. He clearly does. Uh, but, but the orators needed, were, needed to learn humility. Um, and, and like Augustine. Um, and so he used these little phrases, these little jingles almost, um, because it would be easier to retain. Uh, so that's kind of how he uh, preached. Um, so some, some images and illustrations. So I used Orator Piscator, Christus Medicus. Um, so he often called um, Christ our, our physician, our healer. Um, the, the Latin word is medicus, um, right? So doctor is, is the learned one. Uh, but medicus is, is like a physician. 
Uh, via humilitatis, this is another one. Christ is the way of humility. Um, and magister Christus, this is one of my favorites um, because as a Latin teacher, I was the magister. Um, I was the teacher. Um, although uh, when Augustine cites this, he always quotes from Matthew 23 where Jesus says, no one should be called a magister. Uh, but, uh, uh, we'll, we'll see that in the sermon in a minute. Um, because Christ is our teacher is what he, is what he wants to say. Our teacher first. Um, so he talked often about money, alcohol, and sex, like very uh, sort of mundane things. Um, he was concerned with their daily lives, what they did with their money, what they did uh, with their drink, <laughs> and, and, and even in their sort of what we would call private lives. Um, he was not afraid to talk about any of those topics. Um, he preached the occasional apologetic sermon um, against the Donatist. These are uh, heresies that it's not all that important, but Donatists, Manichees, and Pagans. Um, and yeah, you can look, look that up. Uh, most frequently, um, so oftentimes he would end his sermons as one of uh, as the ones that I'm going to show you today with talking about the ability to see God, the beatific vision. This is what he wanted his people to have when they walked away. He wanted them to have a glimpse of how beautiful uh, God was. Um, he wanted them to, to leave knowing that they entered God's presence. Um, that was what he wanted for his people. So that was where he would often go. Um, he would occasionally preach on the Trinity or on the incar uh, incarnation and resurrection, but he uh, rarely preaches on predestination. So the thing that I first learned about Augustine uh, was that he fought the Pelagians over free will and predestination. He actually rarely talks about this from the pulpit. Um, that's just not something that he's interested in bringing to his people. He thought the Trinity was very important, and although difficult, um, uh, he, he would reference that um, because he didn't want to like hide the hard doctrines. He just didn't want to belabor that point. right? He just didn't want to spend so much time on it. Um, so... All right, now we're going to get to a sermon. Uh, but before we uh, read a little bit from this sermon, um, are, are there any questions from what I've said so far? Yes? How do we catch the vision that he had? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think it came from my mom. Uh, so my mom is a very passionate person, and I think I got it from her. Uh, but... I mean, for me, I, I, like I started, uh, it was not until I was 16 or 17 in high school that I, I actually hated reading. Um, all I wanted to do, I wanted to be in the NHL, um, I wanted to be a blues player. Uh, and once I realized that I wasn't that good at hockey, I was like, I better find something else. Um, and sometime in there, I just, uh, I, was at a, I was at a youth camp, and I just, I don't know, I was like sort of taken up uh, by... Uh, the, the beauty of, of Christ and, and through the scriptures and I don't know I just became oddly passionate about it from then on and I didn't realize it would lead me towards studying Augustine necessarily um, that's sort of the crazy thing about life and that's sort of what we see in the confessions is Augustine had no idea when he looks back how this was going to lead uh, to what he does now, right? Like I said, when he was young, he wanted to be a great speaker. Um, he wanted fame and fortune from his ability to use words and be smart. That's where he thought he was headed. Uh, and then, after he realized that was vain, uh, that he wasn't finding the fulfillment uh, that he thought he was, he actually looks at it in this great story. Um, he's about at the height of his fame, um, and he sees this this drunk beggar, and he says, that guy's happier than I am, because at least he gets to sleep this off in the morning. <laughs> I have to get up and do this again the next day. Um, and this is just in something that, he calls it a sarcina, is the Latin word. It's like a military backpack. 
Um, and he says, I've been carrying around this military backpack um, that is my, like, this weight of feeling the need to be famous and important and wealthy. Um, and he says, that drunk Bader, he's got no sarchina. Um, he throws his off every morning, and he can try again. But me, I carry this around and just drag this around. Um, and so then once he gets rid of that backpack, he says, well, I don't want to be a preacher. Um, I just want to go and hang out with my buddies and, and read great theology um, and, and philosophy. And then God says, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. And draws him. Um, and then he becomes this great preacher whose sermons have influenced the church for millennia. Um, and, and so I think it's, you know, to me it's just God, right? It's just how God reaches into our lives and, and sees things and sees things in us that we don't see. And I'd say that's how Augustine would understand himself. Yes, sir? So I guess it's probably obvious, but when they take his sermons to France and to Britain, uh, are they being preached in Latin? All in Latin. So who's understanding that? So at the time, a lot of people. Um, and most people, right? So Latin doesn't become what we would call the sort of Neo-Latin languages until at least the, the like 11th century, 10th, 11th century. Right? We can think about Dante is writing in Italian in the Inferno, and that's much later. So, so Augustine dies uh, in 430. Um, so for at least 600 years, we think um, the language was Latin. Um, that was the predominant language. It begins to morph and to change, in large part, maybe due to Augustine. Um, so there's a whole other conversation about this. Uh, but, but because of the influence of the Latin Vulgate, um, the whole language of Latin changes. Um, people like, aren't ashamed to speak simple Latin. So like Augustine used to speak very high, very educated, very erudite Latin. Um, and he says... Uh, well, people don't understand me, and the scriptures aren't written that way, so I have to do something different. Um, and so that actually changes the whole quality of the Latin language. Um, it's still discernible, it's still readable uh, by people who you know, can speak higher Latin, but there's a very different cadence and syntax and things. Um, so Latin actually changes, um, and slowly, depending on how you look at it, it degrades, <laughs> or it morphs into Italian and to French and to the other languages that we know. So for, for a long time, actually, though, um, it was just, that it would be understandable, right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's a whole other part of the conversation. I actually think that, that Luther was actually much more like Jerome uh, than he realized, because Jerome wanted people to be able to read the scripture in the language that they could read. That's why it was called the Vulgate. It was called the Vulgar Latin. That was uh, meaning like the Vulgo, the people. That's what they speak. So when Luther does that, and, and the other reformers, when they start putting the, the, the Bible into the language of the people, they're just doing what Jerome did a thousand years before. Uh, and now it's kind of ironic because they're translating it. Well, they, they do go back to the Greek and the Hebrew, but, but they're, uh, it's kind of ironic because the, the, the Vulgate becomes what no one understands after about a, cent, uh, a millennia of no one, millennium of no one speaking that language well. Um, so, you know, sort of the interesting sort of vicissitudes of history. Um, but, but yeah, Martin Luther is actually much more like Jerome than, than, maybe, uh, than maybe he thought. Um, yeah, great question. Um, I mean, that's not to say that there weren't other dialects and things. As we've said, in North Africa, even Augustine spoke 
well, we're not sure how much, but was familiar with Punic, uh, one of the common languages of the area. Um, and the same would be true for like Gaelic in, in Ireland and things like that. We have some evidence, like St. Patrick's uh, Latin was very poor, uh, but he still spoke Latin. Um, and so he presumably had to learn Gaelic when he goes to Ireland um, to, to you know, bring the gospel to Ireland. Uh, but, but that's a whole other subject. But it gives you kind of an idea of maybe uh, what that was like. Any other questions? All right. Uh, Well, (laughs) um, so uh, this is Sermon 34. So uh, there there are probably five or, uh, well, it sort of depends on how you count them. At least 500 sermons in this collection called the Sermons to the People, which is what I studied. This is number 34. Uh, They're organized by um, uh, references to scripture or by the liturgical um, uh, holiday. Um, so this one was on the Old Testament. It was on, song, on a song. Uh, it says, um, so he says, sing to the Lord a new song from Psalm 149. I'm going to skip down to, to part two here. There's no one, of course, who doesn't love. Right? So this is a great Augustinian insight right off the bat. Everybody loves. Um, we are not just thinking beings. We are loving people. Right? And, and so if you want to get someone on your side, um, you have to remember that all of us love something. Um, and so he says, there is no one, of course, who doesn't love. But the question is, what do they love? Um, right? So this is where James K. Smith, you are what you love. Uh, so we are not urged not to love, but to choose what we love. Uh-oh, all the Presbyterians are getting concerned. We're choosing? Oh, wait. <laughs> but what choice can we make unless we are first chosen? Uh, since we cannot even love unless we are first loved. Right? Uh, so this is, this again, this great Augustine insight. He's reading Paul, um, who says, uh, we love because God first loved us. Um, and so we actually don't choose, but we are chosen in the love of God. Um, and, and, we, and that gives us a new desire, um, a new passion for things. Um, so this is the caritas at work in us. We love new things. Um, listen to the Apostle John, and then this is one of my. This is why I chose this. This is one of my great, uh, uh, one of my favorite images in Augustine. Uh, listen to the Apostle John. So John, the fisherman, right? He is the apostle who lay back on the Lord's breast and drank in heavenly secrets during that supper, you know, the Last Supper. Drunk with that draft in the state of happy drunkenness, he belched out the words. In the beginning was the word. So Augustine. I, like, I just imagine him laughing and enjoying this, right? So when he preaches, he's a passionate person. He's crying. I think he's also laughing. He's like, hey, maybe John was just drunk on the Lord uh, when he lays back on his chest at the Last Supper. And he just starts belching out the gospel, uh, right? So the, the Latin word is just that word that we would use either for vomit or for belching. Um, and, and so, you know, usually we say that the scriptures were inspired, right? Inspiratus in Latin. And Augustine says, no, they were burped. Uh, <laughs> and they were burped from the wine of the Holy Spirit, um, the truth of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that's a much more fun uh, metaphor for uh, the gospel. But uh, yeah, so John is, is drunk uh, on the Lord's truth, not really drunk. Um, and he belches out the gospel. And this great phrase, Augustine loves John 1. Um, this is maybe the most, quote, I think it is the most quoted uh, uh, passage in Augustine. Uh, let's see where it is. In the beginning was the word. What? Okay, so, and then this is another great Augustinian turn of phrase. What exalted humility and sober drunkenness. 
So the word humilis in Latin comes from the word humus, which is like the, um, the dirt on the ground. Um, and so if someone was humble, they were dirt. Um, so they were as low as they could possibly be. You tread on them with your feet. They're dirt. So when he calls Christ humble, he's saying he's dirt. Um, and so then, so what does he say? But it's actually exalted humility. Why is it exalted? Uh, because the word through whom all things were made took on our dirt and became dirt on our behalf. So it's exalted humility. Um, and sober drunkenness. Again, a paradox. How can you be sober and drunk at the same time? Well, if you're drunk on God's love, um, then, then you can be drunk and sober at the same time. So Augustine loved the good paradox. Um, it was another way to draw people in, right? So if they're thinking, uh, as they're listening, they're going, wait, what does that mean? Uh, how can you be drunk and sober? How can you be dirt and exalted? Um, and, and so, so that great belcher, uh, that is John, that great belcher, uh, that is, of course, preacher, predicator, uh, uh, among all other things, he drank in from the Lord's breast, also said this, we ourselves love because he first loved us. Oh, I got the quote wrong. I said that was Paul. Uh, seeing that he was talking about God, he had given a great deal to humanity by saying that we ourselves love. Who love whom? People love God. Mortals the immortal. Frail, fragile beings. The unchanging one. Artifacts the artificer. Um, so the things that are made love the one who makes. Um, and, and so uh, Augustine says that uh, when we become Christians, we become attached uh, to this eternal, timeless uh, uh, God. Um, who loved us so much that he became dirt on our behalf. Um, so we ourselves have loved. And where did we get this from? Because he loved us. And inquire where a person gets the ability to love God from. And absolutely the only discovery you will make is that it is because God has first loved him. He has given us himself, the one whom we have loved. He has given us what to love with. You can hear more plainly from the Apostle Paul what he has given us to love with. The love of God, he says, has been poured out into our hearts. Where from? From us? Perhaps, but no. Um, so he, he goes on, uh, through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Um, so he says that this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is that we are given God's love so that we love God with God. And so we are united. We are brought up into God's own life um, because of God's great humility. Um, I feel like I have like a minute left. Um, so, all right, looks like I have like a minute left. I feel like that's a pretty good place to stop. I had a preaching professor in, in, in uh, seminary who said, know your exit. Because uh, <laughs> I love to ramble on and on and on. Uh, <laughs> and, but, uh, so we do have like a minute or two for more questions, but this gives you a sense of what it was like to hear, Dustin. Are there any other questions? Yes, question. So we have more sermons than we have like written books. Um, and But it seems like there, there's a question as to what difference there actually is between those two things. Because he likely dictated to someone, even when he was writing his books. Um, and so he would have people. So he lived in a monastery with uh, other brothers. Um, and they would probably write down as he would speak. Um, we don't know if he actually put pen to paper. Uh, he might have. Uh, there's some question about that, but likely, actually, uh, he was writing. He was talking to someone who was writing it, um, and then uh, they would deliver whatever was written to whoever it was written for, or they would keep it in the monastery so it could be copied.
Um, but, but yeah, they were sort of professional um, scribes. But then he would go back and edit the ones that were named children's, like the books. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So the retractaciones, the things that he wrote at the end of his life, he goes through everything except for the sermones of Paul. That's how we have the title. Uh, and, and so he says in his one of his last works, he says, I've gone through almost everything. And he says, I did this wrong. I got this wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe I misspoke here, whatever. Um, but he says, I haven't actually been able to even go through all the, the sermons that I spoke to the people. And that's where we get the name of the, the work that I look at a lot. Um, and he says, this is just bare text. This is what the notarius took down um, from what I said. Yeah, good question. Yes? What were, um, what were the two last words that um, he used for his Oh, caritas nestra? Yeah, so your, yeah, caritas is where we get um, um, charity um, and love. Um, but yeah, nestra would be your alls. Anybody else? Yeah, y'all. So I, I, I've been a, so I've been a language teacher for many years. I find it's actually much more uh, uh, specific to say y'all. Uh, we can go through the degradation of English or something, but uh, or the evolution of English. Let's say, let's say evolution. Sorry, uh, but y'all is more specific. I find it very helpful when I'm teaching to use y'all. I don't naturally say y'all. I'm from St. Louis. I mean, I don't know, but uh, but I use it all the time. You used to be the plural, right? I mean, that's the that's the irony. Um, and we had to add another plural onto the uh, you know, and we made the plural the singular. Uh, <laughs> All right. Is it language fun? <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for me. Uh, showmanship. All right. Uh, and yeah, anybody have any other questions, please feel free to come uh, talk to me. Thank you all for listening. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, well, hopefully it'll be done by May. <laughs> yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Tanner. Tanner. I'm a student. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I it, like I say. Hopefully, it'll be it'll be. I'm I'm about uh, 200 pages in, so uh, maybe 50 or so more. Do these guys yeah. come to class without the textbook? <laughs> Apparently, he's got different textbooks, so yeah, he looks well prepared. Have, have you? What do you think of this one? Have, yeah, that's I great. It's, 